the show, everyone. Great to be with you today. Thanks for listening in to the podcast or on the radio. It's a great day today in the middle of Lent, and we got a full studio. Deacon Conk and Uncle Chad. <laughs> yes. Don't you love these new jams? I love the new jams, man. Yeah. Jamming out. Music is um, good. Music is good. Yeah, we're we're in the middle of Lent, and it's a Friday. Uh, we're oh, recording not just any Friday. On Friday. But it's not just any Friday, right? Like... This is sort of a Friday of Fridays. A weird Friday in Lent, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's St. Joseph's Day, which is probably, I'm going to make a bold prediction here. Okay. Within five years, it'll be a holiday of obligation in the U.S. Oh, I hope so. That's a bold prediction, I know. But with, give it five years. With the way that momentum's building for devotion to St. Joseph and the craziness in our country, that's just the ticket. I'm not going to argue with you on that because there's been this big move for devotion to St. Joseph, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, I've read a book about it, done a devotion to St. Joseph. So, yeah, I'm not going to argue with that. Um, but this is sort of a wonky Friday. So every Friday in Lent, if somebody's listening who's not Catholic, right, on Fridays mm-hmm. in Lent, you know, you fast from meat um, and it's a day of fasting. So that's just you know, today. what Lent is. And yeah, you have you know today. five Fridays in Lent or whatever the case may be, six, you know, depending. And then but today is a Friday in Lent. We just happen to celebrate the solemnity, right? Yeah. Feast of Saint Joseph. So on a solemnity, Deacon Conk, what does that mean? Like what you know It's called a Meat Friday. That's what they <laughs> call it. That's an ancient designation for today. Meat wow. Friday. So it's rare that a solemnity, a which is a rare, feast that's day, a meat joke. Nice. Uh, <laughs> it's medium rare. <laughs> <laughs> Falls on a Friday in Lent. Yeah, every few years. So you have uh, the Solemnity of St. Joseph today. You also have the Solemnity of the Annunciation, which is March 25th. And every once in a while, that will fall on a Friday as well. Right. So, you know, every few years, there's a Meat Friday. Yeah, Cal, you know, it, it's strange because all this is, it, the history of the church and all this just goes way back, which is so fascinating. It's not like we're just making this stuff up, but if you're not Catholic and you don't know this stuff, it's kind of weird. You're like, oh, that's strange, you know, but it, in a way, like a solemnity, you know, a feast day is not like, hey, you sh- you could you should fast or keep your fast. It's Lent. It's almost like the opposite, like you should not fast. In a sense of like, this is a day of celebration. Like this is a, it's like a birthday party, you know, for somebody. It's not like you're like, ah, it's like, yes, you know. So you break the fast of no meat on Friday and it's a meat Friday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, look, if you're Catholic out there today, post some pictures of you and your steak. Because people will be freaked out by that. And you could explain. And that's one of the ways you could promote devotion to St. Joseph. You could say, this is why. Because St. Joseph is so awesome. That we stop what we're doing on a normal Lenten Friday, and we do this. And you could break your fast, right? Yeah, break it in half. <laughs> break it. Throw it out the window. We're gonna get Joseph is so much more than burying him underground and <laughs> facing him towards your house, and you're trying to sell it. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he's in heaven. He's just like, yes. <laughs> oh, he's, he's, he's got a, a prime rib in heaven right now. <laughs> Make your St. Joseph statue your centerpiece. Dig it up from the, your front yard or wherever you buried it, and put it at the center of your table and eat your meat. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so this is really a guy's day. You just oh, yeah. wrap yourself in bacon and just go crazy today. All right, so Chad, do you have a have you seen? What did you say? That is so interesting. Oh, for real though? Boy, do I. <laughs> you do. And I can only imagine that it's pretty weird. All right. Well, okay. Last week, it didn't make the show, but we did talk about name changes. 
Yeah. Remember right. that? Yes. It didn't we didn't get it on. But um you guys ever thought about changing your name before? Or like as a little kid? I talked a about a name? friend last week who right. who changed his name. As an adult, he changed his name. Yeah. Um so I've never well, I sort of have thought about changing my name, not in like a disrespect to my family, but I do have a weird first name. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like... And it's not Paul. I, did, I swear I didn't even think about that. Like we if I was, I was in like in. perpetual elementary school and junior high, yeah. like for a long extended time... Where they're going to call your name on the roll every day. Yeah. I'd, I'd be like, can I just change my first name, please? Because this is just getting really painful, and I'm tired of getting beat up. <laughs> anyway, so Taiwanese officials, Taiwan, mm-hmm. are urging people to stop changing their name to Salmon. What? Yeah. Like, so apparently, <laughs> this past week, <laughs> there was a restaurant in Taiwan okay. that had an all-you-can-eat sushi special mm-hmm. for free yep. if your name was Salmon. Or it sounded like salmon. You've got to be kidding. <laughs> Not kidding. And so there's hundreds of young people that have been going to the to the government, whatever they have in Taiwan, right, and right. changing their name to salmon. You have got to be kidding me. <laughs> All over Taiwan. And it's becoming a problem. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Now, would you change your name to whatever if a restaurant was like, hey, change your name to bacon, and you can have all-you-can-eat free? It would have know. to be at least a six-month deal. And I would right. change it back after the six months. It was like a two-day promotion. No, yeah. I, I would need a six-month deal, and I would change it back after. It is a yeah. long process to get your name changed. Like is it? You, well, yeah. I mean, you got to go through a lot of paperwork, and you got to submit all sorts of stuff. I mean, think about the DMV, how painful mm-hmm. the Department of Motor Vehicles is just to renew your license or get a yeah. license or get like a tag for a license. Like, it's painful, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, hey, you want to have a painful day? Sure. Go to the DMV. That's painful. So changing your name is like multiplied by that because you got to go through yeah, the Social Security Administration. Yeah, you know, and you know, the all DMV. The things. And you know, maybe I can get my friend. It's like when, your wife, it's on, when you got married, your wife had to change her name. Maybe I can get mm-hmm. my friend who changed his name to to come on the show and like. Hey, you can tell us about the process. Give me a. Good <laughs> <laughs> to call him up. <laughs> Halfway through. That is crazy to me, Salmon. Yeah, and so people would do it like they would go all out. They like their name would be like Hotness Salmon or. <laughs> Hot, beautiful salmon. <laughs> um, yeah. Dip wasabi and eat salmon. That's one of them that people change their name to. I mean, I would change my name to Big Mac Conk for like <laughs> six months. Big Mac Conk. Yeah. Chad the man. Right. Bayro. So I had this experience. I went to do some talks in the Washington, D.C. area. And I brought my daughter with me on the trip. And... uh we were going to tour a lot of the DC like historical stuff, which was, was cool, you know, for her. So, um, we went to, we went out to, um, where George Washington's house was and, uh, to do the tour and go in, we get to the, uh, what's, what's the name of the place where he, uh, it's Mount um, Rushmore. Yeah. Uh, no, not Rushmore. <laughs> That's not he said Mount. I don't know. <laughs> Mount Vernon. Mount Vernon. Thank oh, you. Okay. Mount Rushmore <laughs> is like. The... I've never been to either. To be honest, yeah, I don't know if you can tell. Obviously, <laughs> is that near the Eiffel Tower? <laughs> also in DC. Yes. <laughs> Mount Rushmore, Chad, is the mountain with like rocks South Dakota with like or something, right? carved of presidents. So you did have the president faces. Right. That's true. He's right. A, but you yeah. were not even close geographically. <laughs> It's all right. Mount Vernon is George Washington's home where 
So we go, and you have to like pay a ticket and get in, and it's like this really fascinating place. If you ever have a chance to go, it's pretty cool. Um, so I get to the counter, okay, and I go to pay. She says, can I have your license? Gave her my license, and the woman literally goes, oh, my gosh, this is so rare. I was like, what? She's like, you get in for free. I was like, what? She's like, your name is George, and it's George Washington's birthday, and so if you come on George Washington's birthday and your name is George, you get in free. You're kidding. And she's like, this never happens. So she's fired up. She's fired up. And like, what a I'm, good day. I'm looking at my daughter. Wait, it gets even worse. And I'm like, we got it free. This is amazing. And then she's just about to hand my license back. And then she goes, wait, is your last name George? I was like, uh, yep. And she goes, oh, it doesn't count. <laughs> and literally made me pay. I was like, oh, come on. Like, like I was so close. Yeah. That, so that was the day that I thought rough. about changing my name. What a roller coaster. To George George. George George. He could be George George. Or yeah. George Paul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could do it. So anyway. Uh, <laughs> How do we follow up that? Let's, yeah. let's see you take this King of the theme ends. here. <laughs> You're like a magician normally. You take anything and wrap it to the theme. Let's see it. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, but but here's the deal. The, the <laughs> it's, it's I'm magic. still trying to rip Mount Rushmore. I'm still trying to wrap my head around. Is that next to the pyramids also in D.C.? <laughs> Geography was never. I did really well in school, but geography by far my worst subject. You weren't even close. I know, dude. I tried. I tried for a while to memorize a European map. Me and me and Abigail like trying to figure it out, and I was really surprised. Like Ireland was on the other side of <laughs> the other side like of I'm, Great Britain than I'm I thought it was, good. and I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm pretty good at geography, but your geography is like my math. I literally would hand in like an algebra test or quiz, and my teacher would be like. You're not even close. I'm like, I'm not even close. <laughs> like, you're not even. You're using the wrong formula. You're not even close. This Ted. is algebra. Paul <laughs> felt confident about this. You weren't even close. Um, so anyway, so the the name changed, but um, we celebrate this feast day. We're gonna. This is what the show is gonna be about. Is like Saint Joseph and characteristics of manhood, or the characteristics that Saint Joseph had, right? And. Uh, you know, it's fascinating when you read the readings about St. Joseph or the gospel narratives, there's very little that we know about St. Joseph, which is so interesting. You know, and you made, you know, the statement, you know, sort of the prediction, Adam, that, you know, in five years, it'll be, you know, a holy day of obligation, which is interesting because in the U.S. church, um, they've kind of gotten rid of some holy days of obligation, like they've mm-hmm. they've kind of downsized Holy Days of Obligation, which for those who who aren't familiar with that, um, if you're not Catholic and you're listening to the show, is Holy Days of Obligation are days that were, quote-unquote, obligated to go to Mass because it is a, you know, high celebration of the Church. Like, it's like, no, like, this is so high in celebrating. I don't know exactly what you would call it. Yeah, it's a a great solemnity that will raise it to the level of Sunday. Right. You know, so it's not Sunday, but as far as... We're obligated to go to mass. We should celebrate. You know that kind Would of. Would you call it a great solemnity or just a solemnity we'll that's a holy solemnity. day? High solemnity. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you make the prediction. You know, with this move of this dedication to Saint Joseph, mm-hmm. which isn't anything new. You know, which is interesting. It's like it, in the history of the church, like you know, it's not like Saint Joseph is new. 
it's not like his role is new. It's not mm-hmm. like we're un- unpacking this new saint in the church or this new disciple. And we're like, oh, we, we've never even knew that St. Joseph was around. You know, mm-hmm. like, look at this. You know, it's, it's like we found some papyrus under the ground that talks <laughs> about him. You know, it's... Well, I think contemporary Catholics kind of t- take it for granted our emphasis on the family today as a church. Like, this is, this is new, and the, the emphasis on the family. And remember that, like, in the ancient world, especially in Roman times and stuff, I mean, who your parents were, um, who your mom is, who your dad is, it wasn't, it wasn't that important, you know? You would celebrate someone's death day, not their birthday. That's one of the reasons we don't have many birthdays in the church. We celebrate the Blessed Virgin Mary, uh, Jesus, and John the Baptist's birthday. Right. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is a death day. I mean, that's what you did. Great, great people will remember the day, day, the day they died and how they died, not their birthdays, not their family, not where they came from. Um, but as a church, we started to develop a devotion to Mary intensely, um, then Joseph intensely the past 150 years or so. And then comes John Paul II and a big emphasis on the family. Right. And those are not coincidences. You know, like as a church, we began to understand the mystery of the Holy Family more. And then that leads us to value the family, husband and wife, children, relationships more as a church. I would say we have re, we're rediscovering the family. Like it's mm-hmm. something that's always been there and has been, you know, the staple of society. The church has always known that. And then you see it falling apart. And, you know, in the church's mission, it reengages in the culture what needs to be reengaged in what is falling apart and that's the move that you're seeing right Mm -hmm. is this move in our culture where you see the family falling apart you know the divorce rates are high marriage is not held in high esteem people aren't really good at marriage families falling apart mom and dad aren't really essential to having babies anymore like like culturally like the shift is like way off right Mm -hmm. and the church is combating that by you know, reintroducing what is already there, what is already right. good, right? Mm-hmm. And this is what's great about saints is that um, saints are timeless, as God is, right? And so St. Joseph exists, lived his life, and was held in high esteem. And in this part of history of the church now, you know, over 2,000 years later, he's being reintroduced because there's a move in the church to re-evangelize the family and the role of the family in the culture. And men in particular, yeah. I mean, it's a response. That's what the church does, like big heresies, right? The church clarifies her doctrine and, and, and her teachings on what it's supposed to look like, and uh, the family's not different. And men, you know, like the downfall of what masculinity looks like and what it looks like to be a man. St. Joseph's just that model, you know? So right. perfect. Yep. Well, and we benefit from this. And so the thing is, when you receive a tradition like this, like the faith itself, I mean, we're going to be judged on how we handle on our faith, how we exercise our faith, how we live out our faith. And in a real way, I mean, with the opportunity we have for devotion to St. Joseph, we are obligated. <laughs> this is what the church has done by making him the universal patron of the church 150 years ago. It's no longer optional. Like to be Catholic means to love Joseph and to foster a relationship with him. You know, whereas before you might make an argument, oh, some people are devoted to him, but I'm devoted to this or that. It's kind of like the Blessed Virgin Mary. I mean, you can't can't consider yourself an active Catholic without loving the Blessed Virgin Mary. Same is true for St. Joseph now. And I think that's beautiful. Um, and what an opportunity to dive into that today and throughout this year of St. Joseph. All right. We're going to take a break and we're going to come back with that in just a moment.
The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. It was an interesting break. It's Meet Friday. Apparently, in Lent, we get to celebrate the solemnity of St. Joseph and eat meat. Like, like, is there a greater day? I don't know. Like, for guys, you know, I can't speak for, for the ladies out there, but for guys, like, like, meat is like, yeah, that's like how we celebrate. Like, if you're like, hey, come over, we're going to, like, celebrate. It's like, you know, beer and meat. Like, that's it's all my you me need. day. Like, you don't need a vegetable or, a, day. or a salad or a side. Like, men can literally just do, like, meat. Get a bunch of meat, sweat. Right. Take a shower. Yeah, you get, like, a steak with a side of sausage. <laughs> or and bacon. Like a bacon appetizer. It's right. It's pretty good. Yeah. Okay, so what is your favorite meat to eat? Like, if you could just cook one, you know, what would you do? A filet, yeah. A filet. A steak. With a crawfish etouffee on top of it. Not the rice, just the Just the, the sauce. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. That's my jam. Yeah. Same thing, but, but I that's like seafood. I like ribeye. It's a topping. That's a surf and turf. It's a I guess it is. Cajun surf and it's turf. It's Cajun surf and turf. Really well done steak. That's my jam. Really good steak. Not you well done. You, you like it well done? No. no rare. Done well. Done well. Okay. A steak done well. I almost left the room when you said really well done. It's like, I can't, yeah. I can't be a part of this. I like anymore. cannot be in the studio <laughs> with, with steak us. black on the inside. <laughs> Just kidding. Just charred. <laughs> no. Yeah. So, a good, so a good medium rare ribeye. Yeah. 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 Um, for sure. Yeah, steak, you know, is meat. But I like bacon. Like a side of bacon would be good, you know. Oh, yeah. Or some boudin. Bacon-wrapped steak for the appetizer or some bacon-wrapped chicken. Just bacon. <laughs> you know, so. Paul just likes bacon. Yeah. And so for me, Friday. Yeah, cracklings. I, I think I'm going to do something tonight. Do it. I'm going to celebrate. Do yeah, thing. it's interesting. So thanks, St. Joseph, for, like, making this happen for us. Thank you, St. Joseph. In the middle of Lent. Like, I, w- I wasn't you expecting You didn't say much, this. but you did a lot. Yeah. yeah, and we were talking in the last segment, like there's not a lot of text about St. Joseph, but the text that we have and the tradition that we have of St. Joseph is rich, right? Like it oh, gives yeah. us enough to really understand who he was and his character, but also like begin to develop a devotion to him, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, I think when we look at in the culture today, like we can all be honest, you know, like we're all married, we have family, um, and we're doing our best to live a sacramental marriage, right? But uh, we're becoming more and more rare in a sense of like not so much the people that we commune with, but like the world, you know, like the culture doesn't really value that, doesn't really value family or even a mom and a dad or husband and a wife. Like, you know, we we have all this debate in our culture um, that really, you know, the the heart of the family is not, you know, central to it, which as a, as a church, you know, we're combating that by saying like like the the heart of a culture is family. It is husband and wife. It is the sacrament. It is raising children within that context. And that is, that bears great fruit for a culture and for society. Um, and, and you could even take the evangelistic or even the gospel or 
the the scripture out of that and just 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 talk about the family within that context because that's the nature of who God is, right? He shows up in in the context of the love between man and woman and that family, and uh, you could see the difference in a culture that that would value that and doesn't value that. Yeah, the smallest society is a family, you know? The smallest culture is a family. And if we were to grow outwards from small, healthy families, or big, healthy families, you know, uh, and our, our society and culture would look like a family, we'd be in a lot healthier place, you know? And feast and celebrate like a family feasts and celebrates. Yeah, and I think Joseph, his role offers an important insight for families for all generations because, like, what makes us family, you know? And... Family is such a part of our identity. It's part of who we are. Joseph offers a great insight into that because I could say family is the one that I share DNA with, and there's truth to that. And so mm-hmm. God shares DNA with us through the Blessed Virgin Mary, you know. But to be a father, to be a mother, is it more than DNA? Yeah, I think we'd all agree with that, right? Like it's a, it's a it's a role. It's a bond beyond the blood and the flesh. And so St. Joseph is really the family of Jesus, of God, right? Not because he shares DNA, but because of the bond of his role of father. And for that reason, the church has recognized that, you know, there's a certain order when we talk about the incarnation, how God becomes man in Jesus Christ, that ripples out to all of creation in different ways, but the closest ripple is in the Holy Family. And so Mary has a unique role in the incarnation. We call it the hypostatic order. Like she's part of the incarnation in a unique way. So is Joseph. Joseph is part of the incarnation in a unique way because we are so identified with our family that part of Jesus's identity is Joseph. When so much so is that Joseph doesn't share DNA with Jesus or with God, but he shares lineage. So his Jesus' family and lineage is traced back not through Mary, but through Joseph. Right. And that's extremely important, you know, when you read the Old Testament all the way to the New. Like, that was important to salvation history, right? And so Joseph was was key in that. Like, like God needed someone in that lineage to, like, you know, um, be betrothed with Mary and, like, create this family. So it's interesting. So I was sitting back thinking about this day, and it came up with, eight characteristics of St. Joseph that for us as men or even for for, for women, Christian people, um, should begin to model and see how he carried himself as a a husband, as a father, as a a man, as a a person that we can model ourselves after. So you surprised that I did that? Yeah. I mean, the shock on your face. (laughs) It's like, whoa. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the ahead. first one is this, is that uh, he was just honorable, okay? And that's not necessarily like, uh, you know, something that you would think of as like a gospel characteristic, but he had integrity. Uh, he was honorable. He obeyed the law, right? Like when the census came uh, and he needed to go to Bethlehem to, you know, to obey the census that they were requiring that we know through scriptures that he did it. Like he wasn't like, no, nah, I'm not doing it. You know, I'm not obeying the law. I'm I'm going to do my own thing, which people had freedom to do, right? Uh, even though they would maybe get a ticket or get in trouble, whatever the case may be. He was honorable. Like, he he honored and obeyed the, you know, the civil law, 
you know, which I think is important. Like we don't supersede the civil law unless obviously there's, there's some type of real moral dilemma that uh, pushes us to the edge of that. But he was honorable in the way he did that. And you would think, oh, your wife's pregnant. You could think of other things that you could be doing or not this year. You have an excuse. He's like, no, I'm going to trust that God's got a plan and I'm going to obey the census and I'm going to obey the law. And he had real integrity in just the way he carried himself in obeying the law. I, th- I think that is a, a really, really unique characteristic that when you do that, that there is a real sense of integrity. Yeah. And remember, you know, Jesus grew as a as a true son, which means he learned that behavior from his father, just like all of us learn our behavior, right? I mean, all of us, our initial comfortability with obeying or not, we get from how much our dad obeys or doesn't. Like when we start to notice how our dad drives, how our dad, you know what I'm saying? Like Shoot, we, okay. <laughs> well, hold on here. All right. We start to wrestle with moral dilemmas by watching our dad act. Absolutely. And so Joseph gave Jesus, and he really learned from Joseph that honorable quality because yeah. he watched Joseph. Well, when Jesus is asked the question about the tax, right, census tax, what does Jesus say? Pay the tax, right? Mm-hmm. Like give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And you he know, saw Joseph do that. Right. And mm-hmm. Jesus could have very well very well, just said, no, don't worry about it. There's a greater law at hand. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a greater command at hand. Like Caesar don't know nothing. He don't need your money. <laughs> Caesar doesn't know anything. I'm God. Like, you know, but that's not, that's not what Jesus did, right? Like, mm-hmm. And there's integrity and there's honor in doing that, right? So I, I thought that was, you know, very interesting you read about St. Joseph, that for us as men, like, we can really learn to, um, you know, you know, model, you know, mm-hmm. for other people. The other one is this, it's pretty obvious, is that he was faithful. Um, he wasn't just like, you know, he was faithful to God. Like, it, it wasn't like his conversion happened because of Mary. Like, he wasn't like stumbled into marriage and was like, oh, maybe I should love God the way you do. Like, like he was faithful, you know, to, you know, God's plan. And with that, you know, I put with faithful sort of the, the caveat to that is he was righteous. The word righteous, the way I understand it, is to be right, like to be right with God. Mm-hmm. And Joseph was right with God in his life, so much so that when like the course changed and when like there were some, you know, curveballs thrown in the plan, like that realigned him, you know, to do the right thing in the tough moment. Mm-hmm. Right, and we see that in St. Joseph. Yeah, just him being obedient to God. And we talked about obedience before, but his obedience to saying, like, all right, Mary, I see Mary's in this situation. Like, it doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like I should be marrying a woman that's already pregnant, you know? And and on a, on a human note, that's weird. Right. It's strange. And, but God coming to him and like, hey, this is what I'm calling, this is what I'm calling you to do. And his yes is almost as is almost as great as Mary's yes, you know, well, like his, his obedience. Right, you use, well, obedience was the next one. So you kind of so went sorry. Up, you went to the Mount Rushmore. You said honorable, and you said obedient and obey. <laughs> and I got a little confused. <laughs> no, no, that's a good one. It, it's they're all together because I think once you if you extrapolate these characteristics and just isolate them on their own, and this is what's important. If you just say, look, I'm just an honorable person, but I'm not faithful, right? I'm not righteous. Mm-hmm. I'm not obedient. Then, then, like your life is not really following the fullness of of God and and relationship with Him and what He has planned for you. Like you, 
like the more and more that you and I really allow God to, you know, intervene, intersect and take over our life, like those characteristics begin to grow. Like, and so we just have more than one. You're like, oh, you're just selfless. But, uh, you know, you're, you you know, you're not honorable. You're not obedient. You know, like this is, you know, St. Joseph mm-hmm. was very well-rounded in that, but it, it wasn't like, you know, he was just, he was just faithful. Like he had mm-hmm. you know, all those things. But as we grow in our relationship with God, those characteristics begin to grow. So for him to be faithful and, and a righteous man, you know, and that's the thing. I think when I look at manhood today is that we're lacking men who are willing to do the hard thing in the tough moment, mm-hmm. who are willing to make tough decisions morally, spiritually, physically, emotionally, uh, in tough moments. And when, when you're righteous, when you're right with God, you, you make tough decisions in tough moments that, that God would want you to do. Obedience can't be done without hearing, right? So like that discernment, is habitual and you're right in the tough moments it's so important and it's done in the not so tough moments too right like discernment should be habitual where i'm continually discerning what does god want what do you want god so not just like what does god want looking in a book but in prayer what do you want from me god and joseph had both elements like he understood the law he understood what god wanted in the book but he also had a personal relationship with god and he listened and he prayed god said something and he did it and this is a, a very manly quality. And I think it gives a stability to our families and society when people can look to us as someone who knows God and listens to him and is obedient to him. Right. So we get to the obedience part, right? So like if you're faithful <laughs> Sorry to push and you there, Paul. If you're faithful and righteous and you're like, but I'm not obedient, it doesn't go together. What ends up happening mm-hmm. is like there becomes holes in your in your life, like water begins to leak out. So you know, obedience goes with that. So like when God asks you to do something in tough moments, you may not want to. I may not want to. But obedience is a characteristic that Joseph had. It's, it's a godly characteristic. Why? Because obedience teaches us to stay the course even when we don't want to. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's what we, we all begin to understand that life's hard, right? It's difficult, you know, being a leader, or a man of our family or whatever the case may be. Being a Christian in the world is not easy. It's very difficult. And sometimes the only thing that we have in the moment is just to be obedient, right? We may not want to do it. We not, may not know how to do it. We may not know the outcome. But if we're obedient, God will take care of the end result, right? And we see this with Joseph when plans change with him and Mary. Obviously, they're betrothed. She becomes pregnant. He's confused. He wants, although he's honorable, right? He's, mm-hmm. It says that. like He's, he, he's going to honor Mary because he's a righteous man, it talks about, and then he's going to leave her quietly, okay? So there's honor in that. She, he's not going to expose her to shame. He's going to leave her quietly. And then God shows up, right, through the message of an angel, speaks his word to Joseph, and Joseph is obedient to God's word, right? He didn't ask ask a whole lot of questions that we know about. I mean, I would have had a slew of them, (laughs) but he just was obedient. He's like, I don't know the outcome, but Mm -hmm. I'll do it because you asked. And I think oftentimes people give up 
in their faith or on God because they, they just don't know the outcome. They just don't want to go through the hard decisions or make the tough ones. And, you know, sometimes obedience is the only thing we have. And that's a good characteristic. That's Obedience is not bondage. I think that's where people often confuse obedience with. Yeah, St. Thomas Aquinas gives us a good word for men who are afraid to do the difficult things. And he says, well, a good word, but a word that sounds tough. It's like effeminacy. You've heard it before? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Effeminacy is like the, uh, f- is, is avoiding the difficult or the arduous things because you're attached to pleasure. Mm. You know, I think we see that a lot, right? The pleasure of comfort, the pleasure of not having to uh, deal with conflict. Yeah. Pleasure uh, of sin. Pleasure of whatever sin it is yeah. for you. Well, see, this is why you could look to Joseph as a co-redeemer with Christ. He wasn't at the foot of cross, right? So we look to Mary, and this again, this is as we deepen our understanding of the mystery of the Holy Family and as they journey to the cross together. Obviously, Mary was at the foot of the cross, and we can see how she offered her son to the Father in cooperation with her son offering his own life to the Father. But it was in those moments of obedience where Joseph offered himself to the Father through the act of obedience. Remember, the cross is an act of obedience, Christ became obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross, right? And so the obedience of Joseph is in in a unique way a participation in the cross of Christ because without Joseph's obedience, we don't have the cross. Jesus would have died in Bethlehem. Jesus would have died in Nazareth maybe because he would have been stoned to death in Mary's womb, Mm -hmm. right? Like Without Joseph's obedience, there is no cross. And in that way, he is a unique participant in the cross of Christ because of his obedience. Which yeah. which begs the question is like, you know, which the next characteristic is, you know, courage. He was courageous. You know, what comes first, obedience or, or courage? Courage or, or obedience. They kind of go together. Like mm-hmm. it's it's like through obedience, like I don't know what's going to happen. But God's going to take care of me. He's going to give me the virtue of courage I need to get through this, right? Or he's given me the virtue of courage to be obedient, mm-hmm. right? And we see this with Joseph when there's a plan change and, you know, a couple of times, right? That, you know, he's got to have courage to take Mary to Bethlehem to give birth to their son in a stable or a barn or a cave. And then the next step was to evacuate into Egypt and the courage that it took to be obedient. Again, God spoke to him through the message of an angel to go to Egypt. But that wasn't his plan. Like that made no sense at all, right? But he did it anyway. He was obedient. And it took a lot of courage to evacuate in the middle of the night, in the middle of a massacre, in the middle of just the unknown of just trusting God and going, uh, even though you didn't know the fullness of the plan. I mean, that takes a lot of courage. And I think, you know, everybody wants courage. Like, no one's like, nah, it's kind of a virtue I don't really care about. Everybody wants to have courage. Everybody wants to be able to be bold and take the right steps and to trust, but it's not easy, right? Like, so, you know, I think with Joseph, what we see is a human person, right? Joseph was not divine. He was righteous, but he was not divine. Joseph was not saved from sin as Mary was, right? So he was human, righteous, righteous man, but he was human, you know? So he, I think, you know, within the Holy Family is the one we can most relate to because he was, you know, he was most human. But yet in the midst of that, he had the virtue to do 
the things that God asked him to do. And that's the beautiful life of Joseph. And that's why I see, you know, Adam, you're talking about this move of St. Joseph. It's because we're, we're rediscovering these characteristics that we could so relate to in our life. And one of them is courage. We need it. I think the courage of Joseph is one of, you can only get from detachment. I mean, Joseph was a poor man. And Joseph was detached from his own ego, his own plan for his life, his own desires. People are afraid when we're attached to ourselves, to money, to all these things make us cowards. Because when it's time to give up those things, we, we just, we think we'll die, you know? Joseph did things that required courage and required detachment. His courage came from his holiness and the fact that he'd already given everything to God anyway. Like, okay, I'll do it because I'm yours anyway. And, you know, there's a, there's a connection there, that poverty of Joseph and his courage. And that's one of the reasons the church is kind of weak right now. We, we don't get poverty too well. Me first. Right. Like, we don't get poverty too well. So we're afraid to lose what we have. Right, mm-hmm. which is, you know, interesting. You know, I didn't do these in any order, but the way that we're talking about them just kind of flows is that Joseph, you know, his next characteristic uh, beautifully, he's selfless, you know, mm-hmm. and that that is sort of anti-culture, you know, um, that he was selfless in, you know, serving his family, serving Mary, serving the Lord, like giving up on his plan. Um, you know, it never says that Joseph didn't enjoy his life or didn't get to, like, go fishing. Like, it doesn't say that, like, but... He was very selfless in the way that he did things. And, you know, we would all know, like, your marriage is is at its best when you get out of the way, right? Like, when you're selfless in the way that you serve your spouse and your kids, right? And that is really missing in the culture. Like, it's almost like being selfless is a sign of weakness, but it's just the opposite. Like, being selfless is a sign of of true masculinity it's the ability to lay your life down for a greater good which is ultimate love right to sacrifice your life to sacrifice yourself to sacrifice your needs we live in a culture of me right and particularly with men we're like i want to do what i want to do when i want to do it how i want to do it you know i want to have all the hobbies in the world i want to spend whatever money i want i don't want a woman telling me what to do or kids holding me down like i hear these things all the time you guys even from married people right and uh, and then I'm like, well, that's just not going to go well. That's not going to last <laughs> long, you know. And usually, ultimately, like if you could boil down any argument or conflict or fight in your marriage or in a marriage, it's, it comes down to like one of the individuals is being selfish, right? Like there's a there's a me involved in the in in and it's in the middle and it won't get out the way. I have something that I want and I'm not willing to sacrifice. Yeah, do you? Do you feel like men don't feel like they have a lot to contribute to the family? You know, I ask this because it ties a lot in with selflessness or selfishness in particular and courage, I think. But like, do you feel that way? I mean, I'll tell you what I mean by that. Like I, when I had a baby, people were shocked to find out that I was like changing diapers, like waking up in the middle of the night and changing diapers. You know what I mean? And women, like I would, it was, it was women that I were talking, I was talking to and they were like, oh, you do so much for mine. My husband wouldn't do anything whatever. I'm not trying to praise myself, you know, but, um, I mean, I know I felt that way early on. It's like, man, you know, I don't, I don't really feed him. I feed him with a bottle. You know what I mean? But I have not much to give to him right now. And 
I don't, yeah, like, it seems like a lot of men feel that way. Like, I, even as their kids get older or their wives, whatever, they're like, the woman takes care of the kids and, you know, like, I'll make enough money to make sure they can stay alive, but I don't have much to contribute in the way of how the kids are raised or what their lives look like. My wife takes them to church. My wife makes sure their school is is happening. Right. You know what I mean? Do yeah. you think men feel that way? I, th- I think there is a sort of a cultural overlay of that, you know, and, and the thing is, you know, Chad, as you were talking, it's like, you, you know, you're not just serving your child in the middle of the night by changing the diaper. You're serving your wife. Like right. she needs re- maybe rest and yeah. she need, it's, so it, it's, it's a bigger picture of like, you know, I'm willing to sacrifice not because like, you know, like, you know, any other reason, but to help you. Right. And, and we're in this together. I do think even culturally, honestly, you know, there's there's a huge feminist movement to just sort of ex- extrapolate men from the world, you know, like yeah. like masculinity from the world. And we're at our best when men and women work together. We complete each other. Like there is, you know, that is that is central to um, the sacrament of marriage, that the two leave their father and mother and become one flesh, right? They become one. They become equal. It doesn't say they they become the man. It doesn't say (laughs) they become the woman. They become one in union with God and each other. We're at our best when we're, we're, we're equal, but yet unique in our masculinity and femininity. Right. And so, um, well, you see the importance of the role of the father in that, because we learn that, we learn masculine femininity (laughs) mainly from our father. And what I mean by that is how much is my dad engaged in my family? And that's what I expect in my family when I have one, one day, you know, it's like I, the, the level of expectation comes from the father's role in the family, even more so than the mother, you know, because the mother will do whatever the father doesn't. They have to like, yeah, like it's just going to happen. The mother's going to raise the kids where the father doesn't raise the kids. The mother's going to make sure things get done where the father doesn't do it. The father, for whatever reason today has the ability to check out as much as he wants, even to the point of leaving the family, which happens. Right. Mm -hmm. But the child's experience of the father then colors their expectations for everything else. And so our expectations for men that are so low is because we haven't seen fathers be fathers. And our memories of our own fathers are not filled with St. Joseph. They're not filled with the things St. Joseph would do with Jesus or for Jesus or with Mary or for Mary, right? We have memories and experiences that are not the same. And we don't expect men to rise to any occasion because we didn't witness men rising to any occasion. Yeah, I think, man, so one of the things I've noticed in doing ministry for as long as I have, which is not that long, but long enough to notice that people, when people don't feel competent, they check out. Like when they're afraid to, like if a man's afraid that he's going to ruin his family by being involved in his family, (laughs) what he's going to do is work all all day Mm -hmm. and work all night and go and have hobbies with his friends that are away because he's competent there. Like he is, uh, he feels like a man around his friends, you know? Well, the core question... Feels like a man at work. Yeah. The core question of, of a man is, do I have what it takes? Yeah. And when a man feels like he has what it takes, whether it be in a sport or in a work or with his friends or in a hobby, you feel good about yourself, right? And so 
the the adverse of that is that you know men would typically avoid things that they don't feel adequate at you mm-hmm. know am i adequate to the task at hand and when you don't feel adequate then you you sort of disappear and delegate right yeah uh, which in the business world that's great hey i don't know how to do this uh so i'm going to hire someone or i'm going to ask someone else to do it right in marriage it's like you work together to delegate responsibilities but you you're equal partners right in the in raising your family so I think really honestly what it is is a lack of vulnerability with men mm-hmm. to be able to say, I don't know how to do that. And I feel really uncomfortable. And will you be patient with me as I learn or, you know, help me to understand how to do that better, you know, but, you know, men would rather go do something that they're good at and avoid the things that they need to work on, which is not a characteristic of St. Joseph, right? Like, which leads into this is that he was a hard worker. Mm-hmm. He was a hard worker for his family, and you know he went to work. And I think it's one of the things that men that oh, I work hard to provide for my family. And I had a guy tell me the other day, he's like, "Look at all this that I do for my family, providing right. Um, you know, we have everything we need. You know, like why isn't everybody happy? And like, well, you know, how much are you home? How much do you help at home? How much are you available? Like, emotionally engaging in your family." is extremely important to the health of the family, mm-hmm. right? So if you just think like putting food on the table or providing your kids or your wife certain material things is going to solve the issue, you've already lost on the issue. And relational and emotional connectivity of the father will set the tone for the whole family's experience of relational connectivity and their expectations. So if he checks out of that, it doesn't matter how strong the bond between the mom and the kids it doesn't. There is no context with which to expect how close men and women should be who are married, how close parents should be to their kids, you know? Um, so it's so important. And, you know, it's interesting, the hard work thing. It only takes a generation to go from the greatest generation to, like, video gamers. Because if I am working <laughs> hard absent all day and you don't see me, and then we don't connect. And, look, it's okay to work hard all day. But if we don't have some connection where I... I tell my kids about my day and they kind of get a sense of the man I am. They're going to spend an equal amount of time away from their responsibilities as adults, but they're not working hard. They're not fighting wars and building houses. They're freaking playing Minesweeper. Or, no, it's Minecraft. <laughs> Minecraft. Minesweeper. Minecraft. Haven't play, people haven't played Minesweeper in 30 years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Those teenage boys <laughs> playing that Minesweeper all day and night. No, but like they're not, they're going to have the same level of absence without the same level of contribution. And this is exactly what we see right so that there's been a shift culturally and even you know like for for hundreds of years so i'm talking about like the evolution is that saint joseph worked hard to be with his family Mm -hmm. Mm. men today oftentimes work hard to be away from their family and those are two different things yeah right so the the nature of a man to work hard and to want to work and to get dirty working is very natural, characteristic, and a good virtue. But to work hard so that you can be with your family and be present is different than to work hard to be away from your family. And that's the shift that needs to happen. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. 
Best yet, Solidarity HealthShares members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening in on the radio, KLFU Radio, or on the podcast. Feel free to share it uh, with others. And, uh, man, we've been doing a ton of shows over the years. I can't believe we've been doing it this long. I think Deacon Adams said we're the Cal Ripken of (laughs) radio show here. If you don't know who that is, just Google it. Yeah, just Google it. And, man, I was just thinking of those kids playing those Ataris, man, <laughs> playing Minekeeper. darn kids. Those darn kids. Get off your Windows 95 machine and get to work. <laughs> <laughs> Minesweeper yeah, and Solitaire and yeah. yeah. else. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I think oftentimes what I hear, you know, you know, men do need, in, in a lot of ways, an outlet. You know, like, you know, we work hard and you, you need an outlet, whether you work out or you play golf or you like to fish or – you know, you garden or whatever you like to work in the yard. Everybody has sort of different or, you know, even play a video game, like whatever. But there is a very, very fine line in that balance of engaging in the family, right? And engaging mm-hmm. with your wife and your spouse first and then with your kids. And then, you know, here's the thing. When you get married, you lose some freedoms. There's freedoms that you that you lose for the sake of the greater good of the sacrament and for your marriage, right? If you enter into the priesthood or religious life, you give up some of those freedoms. The problem is, is that a lot of people don't want to give up anything. Mm-hmm. And in the sacrament of holiness, there is sacrifice. There is giving up, right? And that was a unique characteristic, not unique in a sense that nobody has it, but to St. Joseph is that he, in his selfishness, he was sacrificial, right? I'm willing to sacrifice my plan or my needs for the greater good of this, the holiness of my marriage, right? That doesn't mean that, uh, you know, I think one of the myths of a marriage is that, uh, you know, when we get married, um, we're, we're in bondage, right? You know, like the myth is like, um, I'm in bondage, you know, this ball and chain, I can't do anything I want to do anymore. And that's not the case. Like the actual theology of the marriage is that we're more set free to be who we are. You know, we become more who we are through the vocation. If we were created for relationship and created to be in relationship, then by loving others, like we're going to find who we are. Right. Just makes sense. Right. But, but the, the flow of that is when I love my spouse and my spouse is first, obviously love God first, but love my spouse and nurture that and love my children then there's a, a flow into, you know, uh, coming out of that, like I'm set free to fully be who I am, you know? So your spouse in turn would say, you know, you should go play golf, you know, you should take care of yourself, you know, like, but when those needs are before your spouse and your kids, there becomes great tension in the marriage because there's really no, there's no sacrifice there. Yeah. I mean, one of the great healthy indicators of a healthy marriage is that we're looking out for each other's health mentally emotionally and we're making suggestions like you know why don't, why don't you go saturday with whatever I'll, I'll i'll keep the kids or whatever um and so we're we're trying to convince each other to leave the house in a healthy way 
every now and then rather than complaining and arguing about you being away all the time or wanting to be away all the time. And, um, yeah. And, I mean, look, St. Joseph, I don't imagine he was, you know, very good at golf or, like, whatever game they played there. Uh, Jerusalem Shuffle, maybe. I don't know. Jerusalem Shuffle. <laughs> but I don't imagine he invested a lot of time in, like, mastering anything other than carpentry, husbandry, and parenting, you mm. know? And we don't call him the, you know, in the litany of St. Joseph, you could look it up. He's it's a lot of cool titles, but like, you know, the best guitar hero player is not one of them. Um, you right. know, yeah. well, live life to the fullest guy is not one of them. Yeah, even I think back to my dad and one of the great things he did was I don't think there was a hobby that he did that I was not involved in in some way. Like growing up, even at a young age, like he took me to go hunting. He took me to go, you know, play baseball. We'd play together and... Even the, I mean, the things that I learned from that, like being with him and learning how to play, like learning how to, yeah, how to have good hobbies, have good leisure, you know? And here's the tension, and that's great. Which and is good for my mom. My mom got to be out of the house in a way while in the house. Right. Absolutely. Uh, we were in a couples group for uh, for Lent, and it was awesome, like great. And, you know, a lot of people just acknowledge that the tension, that it's a lot of times easier to spend time with their kids or even love their kids or put their kids first before their spouse and talked about that tension that if your spouse isn't first and doesn't feel first and there's not that nurturing of your spouse first before the kids it's out of order right and you do see like this immense move to like you know give everything to the kids and they have they have it all and you know they're going to be in all the sports and we're going to spend all of our time at all of their things right mm-hmm. and we're going to spend very little time working on our marriage when you see that's that's the trap that good catholic families can get in is that i can feel very selfless when i'm all about the kids mm. but what are you teaching your kids that it's all about them Exactly. It's not. So you're creating these selfish little monsters while you yourself feel like you've done everything you can for your kids, yet they're going to act like selfish little monsters in high school. And you're like, what happened? Yeah, we're creating narcissists, what happened? man. But you just taught them that their desire to play baseball is worth mom and dad dropping everything else to make it happen in the way they wanted to make it happen. Right. That's mm-hmm. what you taught them. Right. Gosh. You know, That's, yeah, yeah. When I talked to a guy recently, and he said, "Man, I just I don't know how I can make my wife's life easier. I don't know how I can make my wife's kids, my kids' life easier." I'm like, you know, I don't think that's what it's about. I don't think it's about trying to make their life easier. You know, I think the same is true for your kids. Like, it's not about trying to make them have the easiest life they have in, right. for 18 years. That's not going to make them the best kids, or, or really good, really, you know holy kids or kids that are pursuing holiness. Well, and remember, like, St. Joseph and Mary. I mean, look, if anyone could have been the kings of the world, it was Mary and Joseph. Mary had no original sin. Her intellect, her will, was stronger than any other human being in the history of the planet other than her son. If she wanted to get this thing done in a worldly way, she had nothing stopping her. St. Joseph was just the next one on that list. Like he had original sin, yes, but he never committed mortal sin. He was given all the graces needed to raise the Son of God. So yeah, he was smart, he was intelligent, he was persuasive. He taught Jesus how to preach by the way he spoke, right? Like he Mm. was the man. But what did they do with this? They lived a poor, simple, humble life 
in the middle of nowhere, and that's how they lived. And so when we invest in our kids, we need to invest the way St. Joseph and the Blessed Virgin Mary did. So it wasn't like, let's develop your gifts and talents to the point where you could conquer the universe. It was, let's develop your gift and talent to give your life away within the context of a family first, and then whatever God's calling to you to after that. Mm-hmm. Like, that is a success for a kid. And, and any gift and talent that God has given our kids is aimed at giving their life away, first in their family, and then whatever God's calling to after that. And if we're teaching them anything else, and if we're devoting time to anything else and money and resources, we are teaching them to be self-interested narcissists. <laughs> there you go. What no greater way to end. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to do a whole nother show on that. And there's a balance there, but I can tell you this at the end of the day, if you put your spouse first, right, everything flows from there. And it's okay if your kids don't have everything. It's Trust okay if your kids, Jesus. The greatest gift put that Mary you first. Sorry. can give your family is to love your spouse, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and when your family, your kids know that that's priority, they're going to be fine. That's the greatest gift that you can give them, right? More than anything else. So, Anyway, so we're going to pray the intercession of St. Joseph over us, our marriages, um, you know, our own journeys, that we can be like him in a lot of ways so that we can be like Christ in the way we live our life. So thanks for being a part of the show, and feel free to share the show, and we'll be back next week. God bless. God bless.